Welcome to the Side Hustle Project, a podcast where we explore the nitty-gritty details behind what it takes to start and grow a profitable side hustle. I'm your host, Ryan Robinson. In this podcast, I'm bringing you interviews with entrepreneurs, best-selling authors, CEOs, investors, and people just like you who are building and profiting from interesting side hustles. In today's episode, we're talking to the founders of Working Not Working. Justin Geniak and Adam Tompkins were also hearing from their head of growth and a good friend of mine, Emily Slade. Now, we've had a few episodes of the show recently talking with freelancers and consultants who've had experience working on the marketplace sites like Fiverr and Upwork. Today's guests run a company that's pretty much the opposite of these other freelance marketplace sites. Working Not Working is a self-described community of more than 30,000 highly curated freelancers from around the world, people who've won awards for their work, and companies like Google, Apple, Facebook actively source talent from this community they've created. The way it works is not based on collecting commissions either, and the Working Not Working team doesn't even put themselves in the middle of these transactions between the brands and the freelancers. They've built a community of the best, most experienced, talented, motivated freelancers, and because that community is so high quality, they're able to charge the more than 2,000 brands that use their platform a flat subscription fee to get access to their pool of creatives. And on top of that, it's free for the creatives to be on the platform. In this episode, we're talking about how Justin and Adam got started building the Working Not Working community and platform on the side of their own freelance client work with some of the world's most recognizable brands. We're hearing about their ups, their downs, and the biggest moments they've had along the way to where they are today, with massive annual contracts from over 2,000 companies like Google, Apple, and Facebook sourcing talent from their platform. We're digging into their most effective growth strategies, the best tactics and techniques they've used to continue bringing in high-value brands that'll pay to access their community. We get to hear their single best piece of advice for anyone looking to get started as a freelancer today. We get their recommendations for landing premium price contracts, why they're huge advocates of using side projects to showcase your skills, and so much more. As always, you can find everything we mentioned in today's episode in the show notes at ryrop.com slash podcast. That's spelled R-Y-R-O-B dot com slash podcast. Let's get into today's interview with the team from Working Not Working. I've got a warm-up question for each of you guys. What book are you reading right now or what has been your favorite recently? <laughs> this is a great question. Uh, I, don't, I don't really read all that often because I'm uh, a dummy, um, but uh, I try to listen to podcasts and stuff. Uh, wait, wait, let's see what my most recent audiobook is. Maybe you guys can go and I'll look to see which one I've started playing but didn't finish listening to. For me, I read uh, for business, I read The War of Art and that was great. It's about being an artist and protecting your ideas from yourself, kind of, and uh, the trials and tribulations of people telling you you can't do things and you know, not taking no for an answer and from yourself mostly, not from the outside world. Um, and then for per, uh, personal reading, I just read uh, Ken Follett's new novel that came out maybe a month ago called Column of Fire. I'm kind of a more of art history for you creative folk. Yeah. Adam's been on vacation for the past two weeks, so he had a lot yeah. of time to read books. No, I read that during work. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, I, I read, uh, I just, I'm in the middle of Homo Deus by uh, Yuval Noah Harari. And then I also just started, start something that matters by Blake Mikowski. 
Nice. I didn't see that one make the rounds on the interwebs. What's that? I said, Emily, you're already doing something that matters. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I hope that's not like fortune telling. (laughs) It's very true. I see. I haven't been reading business books. I've been like reading self-help books, uh, which I guess is probably good too. The one I was reading is called Letting Go. Uh, it's called the pathway of surrender, uh, which is all about like kind of letting go of things that you can't control, uh, in your life, which I'm sure has a lot of effects in business as it does personally. Um, uh, but yeah, that's one most recently I was reading in my, my, uh, iBooks here. I like it. Awesome. All right. Yeah. So working, not working. Um, you guys have a really cool community of highly curated freelancers from around the world, people who've won awards for their work. And you guys have companies like Google, Apple, Facebook, who source talent from your site. But you're not the typical marketplace and you couldn't be further from what I would say Upwork is doing. Can you tell us about how you describe working, not working? So yeah, I think the that's a great way of describing this, kind of the opposite of Upwork. Um, I think there's a lot of marketplaces out in the world uh, where you're going, that are driving the cost of talent down and where you're trying to find the cheapest talent to get the logo fastest. Uh, and we're basically uh, the place to go and find really amazing talent that can do the job right. Uh, and you pay like what people actually get to deserve to get paid for their talent. Um, so we are a highly curated network. Only about 10 to 15% of the talent that applies gets in. Uh, but because we have those clients, the Googles, Apples, Facebooks, uh, Airbnbs in the world, they have an expectation of the quality of work that they need. And so they know they can come to us and trust the talent in our community uh, to be able to get that job done. Awesome. And how, how does your guys' business model differ then from, from something like Upwork or Fiverr, where you can essentially you know land and within five minutes have someone hired? And either of you guys can answer this one. I don't know. Take that. Sure. Um, well, we got into this to not charge commissions. Uh, the old way of doing things or the still kind of current way of doing things uh, when you're finding high-end talent is to go to a third-party recruiter or headhunter. And it's really expensive. It's, uh, and it's fine if you're Apple and you have money to pay the, the headhunter or recruiter, but what it does is restricts the network of the people that are finding those jobs, the people that are being awarded those jobs to that recruiter's network. So for us, Justin and I were both former creative directors ourselves. And we were when we were freelancing, we would only work at one of four or five different companies because by the time you got done with the first one, you went to the second one, and then the first one wanted you again by the time that job uh, popped back up. And that's great, and you can stay working that way, but you don't get a big breadth of experience. Um, And what we try to do is democratize that process to where you see the entire network of available talent and you can pick the person who uh, is best for the job, regardless of uh, whose network that that person was in, because it is just one giant network. Um, Yeah. yeah, So that was like, go ahead. I was going to say for, for us, yeah, you were only as, you know, your opportunities were only as big as your Rolodex and, to be able to combine everybody's Rolodexes, it just is opening the doors of where people can do and where they're taking their careers. Um, and as far as our business model works, like, yeah, we, we've shunned the, uh, the typical commission, which, you know, depending on who you work with, could be anywhere from 15% markup to 120% markup. And the way our model works is the talent gets on for free and we just charge uh, companies a monthly or yearly membership fee to access the talent and it, goes, it averages that to be a few hundred dollars a month. 
they're trying to be really fair with it and give them access to that top talent without having to worry about who, you know, coming in with the hammer for 25% afterwards. So when a company finds a freelancer that they want to hire, do you guys like make that marriage happen? Do you process transactions? Is it, or is it sort of just like a, a marketplace for meeting people and then the company and the freelancer, they can figure out working terms, you know, payment, all that stuff. Yeah. I think when we started, uh, our idea was to not make too many features and too much process because the companies that we were working with and, and the companies we started working with were companies that Justin and I were working with directly ourselves. So they had a hand in uh, developing work and networking because we were constantly asking them questions. Hey, if we did this like this, would you guys like that? Would you guys use this if we did it like this? And um, the one thing we didn't want to do is start with, all right, you're only going to see this person's first name because all the communication has to go through us. And it's such a small industry at the, the top of the funnel that if I see it, an ad or a piece of design, I pretty much know who did it anyway. So if I know that person's available, I don't need their last name. I can just go to their portfolio. Uh, so as we get bigger, that's less true. But we, wanted, we thought that um, the more barriers we put into uh, using our process, uh, the less the top agencies and top creative companies would s- sign up for it. So basically you sign up, you get access to paywall drops and you can just hire as many people as you want. And all that stuff goes through your own company process. I mean, creative companies know how to hire people. So we let them do that. Yeah, there's not a lot of handholding necessary because people already know how to do it. So we can just, they can come right in, find who they want and then take over from there. And we don't, we don't do the negotiations or anything. It's just direct contact between the two parties. Yeah. I like that. Not making it more complicated than it needs to be. Yeah, yeah exactly. So Adam, Justin, um, this question is for you guys again as well. Uh, is working not working your first business? It depends on the definition of a business. <laughs> <laughs> How about I, I take us back to what you were doing before? Okay. Adam, do you want to go first? Because this is not your first business. Uh, yeah. Working not working for me um, kind of came out of a direct need. Uh, I had a startup beforehand before this 2008 to 2000 no 2010 to 2012 um that where i was doing at the same time as uh working on uh you know art director projects and freelancing and uh couldn't find great talent for it could find a lot of talent but couldn't find top level talent that um when one developer came off the project, the other developer would want to work with their code. So it was, it was kind of a hugely great learning experience. It was a, uh, it was a photo app, uh, similar to Instagram. (laughs) Justin remembers he's giggling because he remembers the, how white my face was for about 18 months. Um, but, uh, yeah, in the, in the, process of developing that, uh, those two companies first path came out, then Instagram came out and, uh, we just couldn't get a fast enough prototype and just got crushed. It was a, it was a great learning experience. Yeah. Um, uh, for me, I've had, I always, uh, full time in advertising for years. You know, Adam and I met at our first jobs in advertising in 2002. We were both very junior art directors at Ogilvy. 
in New York. Um, and I always had like kind of side hustles going on that were pseudo art, pseudo businesses. Um, and one of them was, uh, I started college where I collected packaged and sold New York city garbage. Um, and so I sold it from anywhere for $50 a box to a hundred dollars a box. Um, I was doing that for a long time. So that kind of like sustained me, uh, as a little side business, but it was, it was always under the, the umbrella of art. So this was like my first, uh, real business that like came to, uh, you know, point where you had employees and real responsibility besides, uh, walking around the streets of New York at night, picking up garbage. So, yeah. I love that. That is hilarious that that can somehow be a job and a business. <laughs> so when you guys first got started on working, not working, um, maybe even back when it was sort of just an idea of something, was this a side project that you guys focused on growing or was it, you know, quit our jobs, quit the app that Instagram crushed and focus on working, <laughs> not working the whole time? Uh, that app crushed itself. Um, yeah. <laughs> but uh, I think, I think, and I mean, for me, I think Justin as well, I always joke that, uh, you know, as two art directors, uh, we just thought that if we could uh, build a system for the companies that hired us all the time, it would be the best thing in our books and we just get all the best jobs. And <laughs> it quickly came to the realization that, oh, wow, this could actually be a self-sustaining business. Um, people were really excited about it. Uh, companies that we never thought would sign up for it, signed up for it and it got out of New York city and our 300 initial members rather quickly. So, um, yeah, I think it, it, it's, we didn't dwell on it too long. I mean, it, we had some kind of uptick and we're like, okay, cool, let's do this. Um, and it was born out of solving our own problem. Right. So I, I had a thing on my portfolio site back when I was freelancing, uh, just as a kind of a joke, uh, because there was a lot of inefficiency whenever I was freelancing, Adam was freelancing, our friends, like you would go and you're like, okay, I need a, I need a gig. I'm going to call and email everybody I know in the business. Hopefully someone has something for me. That would be like six people because <laughs> that's all I knew at the time. And like, please hire me. Uh, and then it would take two weeks until someone actually had a project that would break for you. And without fail, every single time you get hired on a project and you get like multiple job offers after you've already started. So there's this massive inefficiency and even on the like hire side, they would just call and email every single person they knew, like, hey, you're available, hey, you're available, hey, you're available. And it's not really, uh, that wasn't one finding the right person for the job. And it was just kind of like getting any warm body in. Um, so I, I put a thing on my portfolio site, because uh, I'm a bit of a smart ass, uh, that I called the Justin GNAC freelance status apparatus. And it was just a blinking neon sign animated GIF that said if I was working available or available soon. And then I had a Facebook group, a Twitter feed, a text alert, an iPhone app, and a mailing list to follow my availability, just like way over the top. And I ended up with 40 companies following me. And every time I'd update my status to available, I get two or three job offers within a day. And any job I couldn't take, I would email my senior art director friends like Adam and just like, hey, um, you know, I can't take this job. You know, are any of you guys available? And they get to the point where recruiters would see that I was working and then ask if my friends were available. And so Adam was going through the pain point of starting his own startup at the time, trying to find those freelance developers. I was doing this and we had a conversation one day and it's like, you know, that kind of vacancy sign concept worked for me. It probably could work for all, you know, everyone in our industry. Uh, and we, you know, both looked at each other like, all right, yeah, let's do this and put together some crude, very crude wireframes. And we found uh, a studio to help us build it and then launched it like six months later. 
That's awesome. I like what you said there about the the vacancy sign because that's that's something that feels like has still continued as a core part of the product even to today. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So, did you guys have any sort of like particular <laughs> metrics in mind, or you know, revenue number that you hit when you decided to focus on working out working full time, um, or was it kind of just like a gut feel? We got to commit to this. I don't think we're new enough about starting businesses to know that you should have metrics in mind when, or a business plan or any of that. <laughs> like, we, metrics like, were just the opposite of imperial measurements. <laughs> Pounds. And we were, yeah. And we were just like, uh, for us, we were trying to solve a problem for ourselves and our friends and our friends who were recruiters and creatives. And we just focused on doing that. And I think because we focused on doing that and focused on building the community first, like everything else started falling into place. Um, and so, you know, we quickly were able to, uh, after a few months of a free beta, we started charging. And within a couple of months, we were able to pay back our initial investment that we paid out of pocket. Uh, we didn't really pay ourselves much for the first couple of years because we were reinvesting all into the, the business and product development and all that. We uh, stayed working also. Yeah, we were also freelancing. So um, it took two, two full years uh, before we gave up freelancing and like we're able to start paying ourselves um, and and hire a couple people, so uh, we just kind of rolled with it. And then Emily, <laughs> and Emily gets a job. And it all worked out. <laughs> and all that, speaking all of hiring a couple people, right? So Emily, uh, this is kind of where where you came into the picture. You are focused on growth now at working, not working. So one thing I'd be curious to hear is, you know, when you landed at the company day one. Was there a growth channel that was already working really well, or were you sort of tasked with figuring this the hell out? Ah, <laughs> uh, well, I think you know, to the guy's credit, there was just a, a really established brand right from the get-go, and we had a lot of love in the industry that we served. Which you know, at that point, we were you know very strongly positioned in advertising, moving into tech in a very fluid way. And so I think for me, it was about looking at like, okay, here's who knows us. How can we make sure that the people who know us use us more and then double down on that? And then from there, where else do we have opportunities to make sure that other industries know about working and working and that we can solve those problems too? So it's been a mixture of both, you know, doubling down on the, on the type of opportunities that have, you know, that have existed from, you know, the, the work that the guys put in for the first couple of years of the business and then looking at how we can kind of replicate what we've done really well and, and keep an authentic, scalable plan in place for new industries as we go. Mm-hmm. Is this still pretty okay. word of mouth then for you guys? Well, we it, haven't it really, was. <laughs> Yeah, we, we haven't really... Um, you know, we actually haven't really invested too heavily in like traditional marketing spend. We just recently have started to spend money on, you know, um, digital, which has been exciting. Um, we've been doing some paid for the first time ever. We spent about $200. Um, yeah, couple hundred bucks. <laughs> so that's, it's like really exciting when you think about it that way. Like we really have, have had a pretty minimal investment in marketing, you know, from a traditional standpoint. Um, but what we have done uh, pretty well so far is is all of the kind of organic growth opportunities from actual community building in person. 
So even though we're an online <laughs> I just have to laugh because you basically described our ability to throw great parties for our community as organic <laughs> growth opportunities. It's, uh, <laughs> you made it sound so much smarter. I love it. You know, we just threw, threw really good parties and happy hours for our community for a couple of years and the word spread. It's like organic growth opportunities. <laughs> yeah, if it works, it works. Yeah, it's good. I like it. Sorry, go ahead, Emily. I just I had I just laughed when you described it that way. <laughs> yeah, it's true. I mean, I think that it, well, what we're seeing too is like a trend. A lot of the online communities that are out there, part of the reason why I think they don't necessarily get traction is because there isn't really a community. It's just a bunch of people out there in the internet mm-hmm. that are maybe communicating with each other randomly. And I think that what we've done really well is like actually take that vibe and bring it offline and make sure that the people who are part of working out working really understand you know, the value of that in person too. And that definitely helps with word of mouth. Um, and I think right now what, what we're, we're seeing is that we can actually, um, you know, gain a lot of traction with that as long as we, you know, think about the media opportunities that, that we have as a result of some of the clients that we work with. So, you know, what kind of organic stories can be told about the working networking community and the stuff that we're doing, um, you know, in a really authentic way, but that also achieves some kind of broad visibility. So we're working on on taking that kind of you know approach to the next level too. And I think you guys also, have. Yeah, go ahead. I was just going to add one thing. I, I I think especially being thoughtful about the community that we're dealing with, which is you know majority freelancers. We do have some full timers on there too. Uh, but I don't think a lot of us realize when we went freelance that the, the isolation we were signing up for. Uh, there's a lot of times where like Adam works from home still he's in San Francisco. I'm in New York. I was working from home for a couple of years and there days go by and you're just like sitting at your computer working and you forget to put pants on and you forget to shower and you would like, just like be like, Oh crap, my wife's coming home in like 30 minutes of a shower. So I don't look like a deadbeat. Uh, and you're kind of by yourself. And, and, and I think it's really important to bring the community together to, to, to have that connection, to feel you're a part of something, to feel supported, to share stories and, and tips and anecdotes. And and all of that is actually the glue that brings us together, um, like what Emily was saying. And it's not just a bunch of people on the internet. It's like, I think we need each other to, to, to kind of sort this thing out. And I, and I think that's a, a huge differentiator from what we do compared to what you know, other people do. Yeah. I, I often, you said earlier that uh, we're the opposite of Upwork. And I have actually said that probably about 500 times because it's, uh, I mean, Upwork's a fantastic company. They make, we them. <laughs> yeah, we use them. They, they are, to compare us is, is, is funny. We're the opposite in one way that we're really small. Um, we're really highly curated. That's why the clients that use us, use us. Uh, uh, it's a very small industry at the top of the pyramid. Uh, we know our clients really well. Uh, Justin and I both worked for many of them before they were our clients. We we're actually uh, their um, workforce. I don't know. They'd hire us. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and uh, in that way, it's, it's, it's super different. Um, they're also a giant company that makes like a billion dollars a year. So we're also different in that way. Um, <laughs> And, and balancing, uh, you know, what we're trying to do is bring down the cost of hiring the, like, really fantastic talent rather than bringing down the cost of the talent. 
because we both went to art school. Uh, we know how hard it is to uh, kind of convince your parents that going into the creative field is a, a viable option. And mm-hmm. when other companies pop up and what they do is uh, basically auction off talent to the lowest bidder. So you're getting, you're taking that person who went through just as much school as anyone else and then taking what they learned and saying, if he doesn't do it for a hundred dollars, I'll do it for $50. If he doesn't do it for $50, I'll do it for $5. And then they take a commission on that sale. It's just ruining the industry. And it's, 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 uh, it's automation without robots. So I think uh, what we're trying to do is give the people that we know that have spent their entire lives developing these skills and these creative skills and these design skills and writing skills and uh, keep, keep that going for them and just bring, it, bring the cost of finding them down so companies can get a better product uh, without incurring the cost that prevents them often from, from hiring the best person. Yeah. And so looking at the logo wall on your guys' site, you know, some of the companies we've already mentioned, Facebook, Google, Apple, um, also Airbnb, New York Times, a lot of really recognizable brands use your site. So I would be curious to hear, can you remember the first client that you guys signed as sort of this, you know, monthly or yearly contract where they have access to your talent pool um, to where you guys felt like, okay, we're not going to actually disappear. <laughs> well, I think for, for us, it was our, uh, was it Widener Kennedy? It was Widener Kennedy. It was our first client. Yeah. And they're like the best ad agency in the world. One of the best ad agencies <laughs> in the world. So uh, when they trust us and they give us a stamp of approval and they know that we have the talent that we're looking for, we're like, okay, we're onto something. And then what starts to happen when you start to get marquee clients like that is, well, if it's good enough for them and this is where they find talent, then we should, you know, it's why you put the logo wall up. Um, but it's, it, it was that. And then we started, I think Google came on very soon after. And, and a lot of that is a benefit of where we were working. Like Adam and I, you know, probably the best sales and lead gen we did was having our careers in advertising and having those relationships and, and, and being good to people <laughs> and, and, and being like, you know, like to think that we were pretty good to work with. And, and so when we went and started this, people wanted to support it. And they wanted to support it because, you know, it's a little bit of the 4FIS. Like, we're creatives that made this for creatives and our friends that hire creatives. And, and there was an authenticity and a sincerity there that I don't think a lot of other people could have come to the table with. And so we utilized those friendships and those relationships to, to build, like Adam said, build the thing that they wanted um, and talk to them and, and, and focus group with them as we were building it. And then when we finally had it out, everybody you know, was really receptive and, and quick to get on board. Yeah. And I think that's a really important lesson is that you guys created something that was highly curated for a pain point that a lot of people recognized in a community that you guys were already endemic in. You weren't just going out and trying to, you know, invent a business idea or do something that wasn't clearly needed. So I love that. Go ahead. I was going to say, I think if you're not solving someone's problem, then you're just putting more shit in the world. And it's really important that you're solving problems, especially when you're building tech products, because I think there's a lot of people that think that they're building something someone needs and a lot of the stuff out there isn't. And so, but if you're solving someone's problem and you're making their life easier, then you're going to find customers. 
So another thing that I, w- I wanted to shift the conversation a little bit now, um, you guys get to meet and work with a lot of really, really talented freelancers um, that have created brands for themselves, um, really recognizable people. So what advice would you give to someone who wants to start freelancing today and hasn't been featured in publications and hasn't worked with recognizable brands? How would you give that person sort of advice and guidance? Yeah, you want to take that? Sure. Um, I think uh, the most important thing is to be prepared. It's like uh, people say the worst time to find a job is when you don't have a job. Um, And you really need to be prepared. Uh, There's a financial aspect to it. Have a couple months rent in the bank and a little bit of a cash buffer and plan um, plan your exit from the corporation uh, that you're working at um, and think of it more like you're starting a business of one person rather than going freelance because mm-hmm. uh, the self-promotional aspect is hard for a lot of people, but it's really, really important. And uh, it's what we were trying to do with working out working. A lot of people, Justin always, always says like a lot of times the people who are best at selling things for other people are the worst at selling themselves because there's this inherent uh, self-consciousness about it. You're like, Oh God, I'm being that guy. I'm making an ad for myself. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's like too meta. Um, uh, but it's, you, you need to do it. I mean, a lot, there's a lot of talented people out there that don't do it well and don't succeed because of it. And there's less talented people that do it well and succeed more. Um, so developing a great website, developing, uh, a, a, a really, um, uh, concrete list of services, f- figuring out what your day rate needs to be, uh, getting out there, making connections, not just on working, not working or on other platforms, but in real life. Uh, it's mm-hmm. the reason that our company was successful initially is because like we said, we just, we knew these people already. We had done work for them. Um, another thing I would say is uh, when I started freelancing, my first probably 10 freelance jobs were people who I, used to work at work with at companies uh, and they knew me and they knew I could uh, do the job and they knew that I was going freelance and wanted to stay, stay that way for a while. Um, So uh, grow those relationships that you have now in the company that you're working at. Um, And that means being nice to people. Uh, I think when we started working, not working. Um, I can't remember who it was and I shouldn't say it anyway, but they said that, uh, that we really screwed it up for them because oh, yeah, there's, there's such a, uh, a, a breadth of talent to choose from now for companies. And they were always like one of the top freelancers in New York. And they knew that they were a little bit of a dick <laughs> and they yeah. could, they could afford to, to, to be that because, uh, they were good and people needed them and they could kind of be act, act the way they wanted. And, and, yeah. um, and I mean, now be, you, yeah. you could just go online and see that person and see a nicer person next to them. And, I've always, yeah. It's like, it's like freelance is career purgatory. Uh, so if you are a good person, in your previous life, you'll probably be very successful. <laughs> totally. uh, and if you're a shitty person and people not have a choice to work with you or not, they're not going to work with you. Um, and yeah, that guy said to me, he's like, yeah, I only got hired because I was the only person people knew was available. And now I'm going to have to be nice. And he, and I followed up with him like a, a year ago and he's like, yeah, I'm nicer. I've calmed down. Uh, and now he's like, he's got a pop 
job in the industry and, and a full-time job and he's doing really well. But, uh, so it's, it's good that working, not working has forced people to be decent human beings. Finally. Yeah. And Emily, I know you've also spent some time doing contract work, being a freelancer. You've got a little side hustle doing photography stuff. So from your perspective, what kind of advice would you give to someone who's, you know, junior in their freelance career still? I mean, I think it's about finding something you're passionate about and working on that and using that as a showcase piece in your portfolio. Because yeah. I mean, if you really care about something and you know, you can pull a couple of people together to get that thing done or do it on your own and just make whatever that thing is, whether it's a cause or a nonprofit or just a creative idea that you have. Or a box of garbage. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, that, that project got me all of my jobs in advertising. Yeah. We're like, Oh, you actually followed through with something. You took, it's a weird idea. I don't know. You're a total weirdo. Um, but it, it, they thought it was smart and it showed initiative. And so to go and like put something out there and actually make something takes a lot of courage. And so if you can go and do that and we know so many people who put stuff out on Instagram and then it turns into a full-time job for them. And I think that's a, it, that, that's what you need to do. You just need to go for what you're into and then show because people want to hire passion. That's, that's actually what working networking is as well. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, I, that's something I didn't mention. Like the, the, I always tell younger creatives um, to, you know, stop doing spec work and start doing personal work. Yeah. Um, because uh, if you can find something that you care about or that makes you laugh and you think will make other people laugh and it's not for a client, a fake project for a fake client, which portfolios used to be full of um, personal work always stands out way more than um, spec work or even real work. So the, um, uh, do a lot of personal work, find some projects, um, do I also think daily like, drawing, a daily photograph, make an app. And there's something about, about once you do it, like once you actually set yourself up for um, feeling what it feels like to be successful in that endeavor, like even if it's something for yourself, it sort of sets a tempo and uh, you know allows you to start possibly networking with people as a result. So there's all these great things that just open up as soon as you say yes to a project. And um, yeah, that can obviously get you, you know, visibility and, and new contacts and everything like that. But at the end of the day, you're doing something you like. And I think yeah. that's super important. Well, it's also the law of attraction. Like you want to put work out into the world that you want to be doing. And so the only way to show people what you can do is by doing it. And, and, and there's kind of no excuses now with the internet. Like we have so many tools to be able to put websites up and, and, and put things out into the world. And you can go and have an idea on Friday and, Put it out on Saturday and then get instant response from people. And that's really exciting. And, and if you're doing that and you're doing stuff you love, then the work's going to, the work's going to come. Yeah. And we come back full circle again to side projects. <laughs> <laughs> I know you guys' time is precious. Uh, I've got one last question for you. Um, what's coming next for working, not work in, uh, not working in 2018? Oh my God. It's almost 2018. <sighs> Nobody told me. Uh, we've got a lot going on. We've got a lot going on. I think uh, this is the year uh, a, a lot of things are starting to come to fruition. And, and it's stuff that Adam and I couldn't have done on our own. Because for the first three years, it was just the two of us doing everything besides design and development while also taking freelance gigs. And so it's only been the past couple of years that we've had a team and there's you know 10 of us full time now. And we can start to say yes to some more opportunities, which we're really excited about. Uh, and do you want to dive into a couple of those, like <laughs> freelancer fund or yes, sure. talk about that? Yeah. <laughs> um, so, uh, 
when we developed working at working, the crux was that when you start freelancing, um, getting your first job and getting hired were obviously like the biggest thing on your mind. Uh, so we tried to uh, develop a platform to kind of allow people to be hired by all these different companies very democratically. Um, the second thing, the second problem was uh, getting paid. And uh, it's a thing that I think everyone in our industry has dealt with. Uh, you're an independent person working for, you know, Fortune 500 companies sometimes, and you, you're dealing with payment terms of 60 or 90 or back in 2008, for me personally, 151 days to get a check. And uh, they see you as a vendor and sometimes as a, you know, like you're a corporation that has like a giant slush fund that you can live off of. And I was like a 25 year old kid living outside my means in New York city. Um, but so we're going to focus, we're focusing this year on, on a few different things. One of them is called the freelancers fund. Uh, and it's going to help uh, people that work with working out working uh, the members and the companies uh, pay people more efficiently. Um, there's a lot going on. There. It's not all concrete, but the idea is to break that net 60, net 45, net 30 thing yeah. down and be able to live uh, an independent lifestyle and still get paid like you're working at a company so you can plan your life. Um, I think part of it is also there's an Intel, no, it's Intuit, the Intuit uh, stat that by 2020, 40% of the American population is going to be independent or freelance. Uh, that's a problem for banks as well because they're going to start losing customers because those people aren't going to be getting paid every two weeks. They're going to be getting paid every 30 or 60 or 90 days. And that doesn't look good when you're looking for a mortgage or trying to get a car payment going. Or uh, So I think that lenders also have to look at the, at the strengths of the people who they're loaning to um, and, and those strengths don't necessarily fit into a um, full-time job template. Oh, yeah. Uh, so it's just going to get interesting, I think. For uh, it's, it's pretty easy for banks to say no to you, even if you made like a couple hundred thousand dollars a year as a creative, and you because you only got four paychecks a year from big projects. They're like, you're yeah. so inconsistent. You're like, oh, I'm not a you know rock star. I'm just a, I'm a you know developer. But the, uh, as that happens more often, banks are just going to start half having to change the way they look at people. And uh, yeah. we want to be, you know, part of that and uh, part of connecting those two things. Because honestly, we tell this to, to younger creatives all the time. It, you can, if you're good in this industry and if you make a great career for yourself and tell your parents that you can make as much as a doctor can make. <laughs> you're probably not going to get a, lo a loan as easily. So um, uh, I think that's going to be a big part of uh, 2018 for us. And also um, the other thing is uh, uh, helping the younger generation of people who want to pursue a creative uh, career because um, we got into this working with uh, creatives who were kind of a little bit more forward in their career. There aren't a lot of 20 year olds on working networking. Um, usually our role was in the beginning is you had to have like a full-time job first and kind of know the business. Yeah. You can be really talented, but 
you don't know how to take a phone call or be in a meeting or know when to talk. And that can be uh, a barrier for a lot of companies, um, even if you're super talented. So uh, what we have is kind of like a lot of people who are 25 plus, and we want to really develop relationships with uh, students and, and, and encourage them to come into the industry. And um, that's also going to be a focus. So uh, there's, yeah. There's a lot going on. There's yeah. a lot going on. I say, I'm like, kind of like, oh, so that- I'm telling you about all this stuff, but I don't know whether I should yet. Yeah, do it. So that's called, that, that particular initiative is called The Future. And we actually just uh, kind of, you know, announced a partnership that's pretty important um, at Adweek a couple weeks ago uh, with a, a group called Saturday Morning. And that is going to help launch The Future because one of the biggest problems in the industry, and we talk about industry broadly here, but like whether it's creative or tech or entertainment, all of the kind of sectors that we serve there's a big problem with diversity. We all know it. We're hearing about it a ton. And all the companies that use us are looking to find awesome, diverse talent. And one of the things that we're uniquely positioned for is to help establish a pipeline that can actually shift the leadership of a lot of these amazing companies over the course of the next five years. So if we're out there helping to develop awesome young talent, you know, kind of basically out there scouting young, awesome, creative talent, and focusing on the fact that we're going to be able to democratize that talent, meaning folks who are maybe have not had traditional exposure to these industries, you know, will be able to be a part of this pipeline now. And that will help make sure that they're discoverable, you know, throughout the process as, as hires are looking for them. So we have some really cool stuff that's like definitely game changing as far as the industry is concerned, you know, both from a future standpoint, which you can check out uh, in the next couple weeks, hopefully. Um, yeah. And then also Freelancers Fund. And I, and I think for us, like, we now are at this point where we feel an obligation to do these things. We, we know that we have credibility with the industry. We know we have the connections. And we know we have a group of people, uh, the talent in our network, which is almost 30,000 creatives now, that are doing the best work in the world and are really inspiring. And so how do we go and lift up the kids of the future? And, you know, like Adam was saying earlier, it's like the, the, the people in our community, the creatives are the typically the freaks and geeks and weirdos um, and are pursuing that career path that was not encouraged. And, and so how do we let kids know that have a creative spirit, that this is actually an opportunity for them. Um, and there is a career in there, especially when 50% of the world's jobs are going to be automated in the next 20 years and the jobs are going to survive are going to be the interpersonal ones and the creative jobs. And so this is the, this is the future of work. And so how do we make sure that that future is sustainable and, and let as many kids, uh, that have that itch to be a creative person, uh, let them know that that's okay and, and help guide them along the way. I love it. Awesome. Well, Justin, Adam, Emily, you guys are on an awesome mission. Um, we're going to include links to everything you guys mentioned in the show notes. Um, thank you all for being here. And for everyone watching or listening rather today, you can go and learn more about Working Not Working at workingnotworking.com. Is there anywhere else you'd like to uh, point people? We got that, and yeah, you're going to have the links to everything else. We'll put the links to the freelancers fund in the future and all, all that. But uh, yeah, workingoutworking.com. If you enjoyed this episode of the Side Hustle Project, I would love your support. Head on over to the Apple Podcasts app and give us a rating. And as always, you can catch every episode of the Side Hustle Project on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for tuning in.